0: hey good morning welcome to the home worship edition of christ church worship Uh, glad that you are joined us whether you are a longtime member or a visitor i'm coming to you this morning from my dining room table Uh, some of you will recognize that we've done a little renovating in the dining room we painted our fireplace moved some things around we're actually still in process Uh, thank you for putting up with that this morning I want us to. I want to walk us through two Kings chapter eight, the first fifteen verses, and as we do, I, I want to set it up by thinking about listening because I think that this passage has a lot to do with our ability to listen, and, and not just listen to be able to uh, say that there was a sound that penetrated the membranes and we heard something, but listening that really hears what is lying behind what is being said. Uh, Christians aren't always so good at listening. This is how Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen, but they unfortunately uh, don't find it among Christians because Christians are talking when they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He'll be doing nothing but prattling on in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of death of the spiritual life, and in the end, there's nothing but spiritual chatter. I think you'll agree with me that that is a great danger. We we need to be good listeners. One way to illustrate this, and it's not original to me, is by taking this cup of water right here, which you see is, is very full, uh and then mr mason jar so kids i I sure i'm sure that you uh, can answer these questions what needs to happen or what will happen if i try to pour mr mason jar into this cup as things currently stand okay let's try it so mr mason jar cup here we go oh my word That is a problem. It is overflowing. Mrs. Vandermas is going to be so upset with me. What do we need to do? We we need to make some space, right? We need to make space in the cup. How's that? Hey, I have a little space. Now, what happens if I take Mr. Mason jar now and pour it into the cup? That, no spillage. I can fit more water in the cup because I made some space for that to happen. That's what I am hoping will happen today, that we will, by listening to God, take a big drink, and make some space in our hearts for God to fill us up. And not only that, I want to observe how listening plays in our world and begin to think about how we can be better listeners. So let's read these first 15 verses of 2 Kings chapter eight. Now, Elisha said to the woman whose son he restored to life. This is the Shunammite woman from chapter four rise and depart with your household sojourn wherever you can for the Lord has called for a famine and it will come upon the land for seven years so the woman rose uh, and did according to the word of the man of God she went up with her household sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years and at the end of the seven years when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land Now, the king was talking with Gehazi. Remember him from 2 Kings 5, servant of uh, Elisha, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman and here is the son. Whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. And so the king appointed an official for her saying, restore all that was hers together with the produce of the fields from the day that she left until now. That's seven years worth. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Damascus is the capital city of Syria or Aram as it is in some of your Bibles. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria was sick. And when it was told him that the man of God has come here, the king said to Hatziel, one of his servants, take a present with you, go meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him saying, shall I recover from this sickness? So Hatziel went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camel loads. When he came and stood before him, uh, he said, your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you saying... Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. And he fixed his gaze, and he stared at him until he was embarrassed, and the man of God wept. And Hatziel said, Why does my Lord weep? And Elisha answered him, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses you will kill their young men with the sword, dash in pieces the little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. And Hatziel said, what is your servant who is but a dog that he shall do this great thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha, came to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day, he took the bedcloth at his Hatziel, took the bedcloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over Ben-Hadad's face until he died. And Hatziel became king in his place. Oh, Father, we pray that you would today open our ears, help us to listen well, uh, create some space that we may be filled with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The focus, as I've mentioned, is learning to listen, and I want to suggest three different things that we can listen to uh, that this passage highlights. The first is this. Uh, We need to listen to the world around us. Uh, You see this uh, in a couple of different ways. You see this with the woman, the Shunammite woman. Uh, She uh, has been through a lot. She's had Um, uh, provision, provision of a son. She's had loss, loss of a son. She's had restoration. Now notice she goes through another cycle of that. Uh, She was living in her land. She was well provided for. She had some means. Remember in 2 Kings 4, she said she was content to live among her people. But then she lost. Uh, There was this famine that came upon the land, and for seven years, she had to leave the land that she loved, the land that she was content in, and she sojourned among the Philistines outside of the land of promise, outside of her people with a pagan people. Uh, incidentally, I, you know, when we look at her story, we, we realize that things don't always happen immediately. Um, One of our challenges in America is we want things now. We can just go on and order things in Amazon and it'll be here almost instantly. Uh, We don't have to wait. We can use credit. We don't have to wait until we save the money. Um, uh, Even when the market crashes, we expect that it will come back quickly and our fortunes will be restored. But God doesn't always work that way. He works in time. And he works through his creation, even the broken parts of it. Famine is not part of the world. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But Uh, There is ways in which God is working in this, and we're going to see this toward the end of our time together, how God is using this famine to provide for this woman, to show her that he is all-sufficient, and so we need to learn to listen to the world around us. To its rhythms. We need to listen to the storms that batter our seacoast as we've seen even this week. We need to listen to the viruses that go throughout our land. We need to learn to listen to the things that aren't moral. They're not necessarily the hand of man, uh, but they are acts of God in our world. And we need to make space so that we can hear what they might be trying to say to us. Secondly, uh, in terms of the world, there are the events then that are more at the hands of God, or at the hands of man, you know, some of the, uh, the strife that we have with one another. We see it with the woman, she loses her land, who took it? Uh, While she was gone for these seven years, was it the king? I don't know. Perhaps she was going to appeal to him because he was the highest court of justice. Perhaps she was going to appeal to him because he, like his father Ahab, just took some land that wasn't his. Either way, uh, there was strife there among people. We certainly see that with Hatziel. We see inter Syrian strife. We see the strife between Hatziel and Ben Hadad as Hatziel kills. Ben-Hadad. We see the strife between Syria as Israel, and especially what Syria is going to do to Israel later on, uh, bring fire to the fortresses, kill their young men with the sword, dash in pieces the little one, rip open the pregnant women. Uh, There is a lot of strife between humans. But one of the things that this passage has said to us, and I think One of the things that you really see Elisha as he operates in this world is he is listening for the voice of God. We're going to talk about this a a little bit as we go, but he is not simply sort of reacting to the situation that is happening on the ground, but he is seeing something through that situation that is leading him to greater truth. But the question is, are we listening? And and I think this is what uh, Bonhoeffer, who I quoted to you at the beginning, was really pushing us to. And remember, Bonhoeffer lived during World War II. He lived in Germany during the time of Hitler. And, And one of his critiques of the church is that they're not listening. They're not really hearing what is going on. And because of that, we don't have the right response you know, all around us there is an invitation to listen. But unfortunately, I think a lot of us are like this glass of water and, and we're filled to the top. We're filled to the top with news and information and we're we're not really making space. We're not allowing ourselves to really listen so that we can be filled then with the right things. I was thinking about that even this week. I'm basketball fan. I've been following the NBA in the bubble. I, I enjoy the competition, the symmetry of basketball. And of course, this week, they walked off the courts, uh, headed by the Milwaukee Bucks, who were protesting or bereaving, crying out, lamenting uh, the the death of Jacob Bla- uh, Blake, who was uh, killed in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is very close to Milwaukee. Now, I'm making no judgment on the rightness or wrongness, the effectiveness or the ineffectiveness of the action that the NBA took then to cancel games, to protest, to walk off, uh, all of those things. But I do think that there's an opportunity for us to listen, uh, to listen uh, as people lament what is going on in our society as folks like Charles Barkley, who is a political conservative, uh, say things like, it's an exhausting being an African American in the United States. So often though, we're just quick to want to pour water in a glass and we, we want to say, what are you talking about? There's this, that, the other thing. But the invitation is to listen to the world around us to listen to it with the ears that God has given to us, with the heart that God has given to us, so that we can really pour the water of the gospel in. But in order to do that, we have to listen first that there might be space in the glass. Secondly, uh, we see the dangers of not listening, and we really see that with these two uh, kings here. The first king is, of course, Jehoram, and Jehoram uh, has not been listening all along. Uh, there's an emphasis here. If you go through this passage, one of the reasons I keyed in on this topic of listening is that there's there's so much about saying and hearing and appealing and uh, uh, go and say to, tell, all, all of that. There, there's a lot of, of talking and receiving and you know the need to listen. Now Jehoram, as we said just a couple of weeks ago, uh, he has had so much opportunity to hear from Yahweh uh, and to recognize that Yahweh is in his life. I mean, here he is talking with Gehazi, and we're not exactly sure why Gehazi is here. There's there's two possibilities. One is that the skin disease you know we call it leprosy but we recognize that that's a a broad term wasn't that bad you know in the same way that the uh, official from Syria, the general from Syria, could still perform some of his duties. Gehazi isn't actually extricated from uh, society and he is able, even with his skin condition, to come into the contact with people like the king. Or this could actually be a, a out of chronological order narrative. We we see that a lot. We see that in the Gospels, see that in a lot of places in Scripture, that Things that are inspired are given to us uh, in an ordered way that isn't necessarily chronological. I do think that there is a connection here in in chapter 8 with Elisha's... ordination or anointing of Hatziel and then his anointing of Jehu in the next chapter. Uh, Those are definitely linked together uh, thematically. Also, we see this idea that the first sort of seven chapters uh, of the two kings, the story of Elisha, really focus on his restoration and now in chapter 8 things begin to turn towards judgment so there are some thematic links if I had to choose I would say it was probably that rather than the fact that Gehazi uh, isn't uh, isn't actually that sick I, I would say that this is probably coming to us out of order that was a bit of a tangent uh, here though we see Jehoram who has every opportunity To see that Yahweh is king and he just doesn't. Remember a couple of weeks ago we we said that he is the thorny hearted, guy. Uh, When the seed is sown, it gets choked out by the concerns of the world. Uh, Even here, there is a form of obedience here, just like we saw in chapter 7. Jehoram had a form of obedience as he put on sackcloth, but it didn't actually penetrate to his heart. Here he restores the things that are hers, but it doesn't penetrate to his heart. He doesn't get on his knees and he doesn't claim Yahweh as his God and King. He's listening, he's hearing the words, but he's not actually hearing the music. He's not dancing. Even worse than that is Hatziel. And Hatziel, his heart, uh, you know, we don't know much about him. He sort of uh, jumps on the scene. Uh, he's a servant of the king of uh, Syria. Maybe he is a general, a military commander. We're, we're not really sure, but uh, but he is sent to Elisha, which again is is pretty interesting that Elisha is sought after by this pagan king. Um, he he sent sent to Elisha uh, with these forty camel loads of of things, and Elisha really surprises him by proclaiming that he is going to be the next king of Syria. Now, it's really important to remember back to 1 Kings 19. This is Elijah. Now, you remember, he was so despondent in 1 Kings 19. And uh, God said, Elijah, get up. Uh, quit your pouting. I'm still in control. I've got some things for you to do. I need you to anoint Haziel as king over Syria. I need to, for you to anoint Jehu as king over Israel, because these two are going to be the instruments by which I am going to carry out judgment on the house of Ahab. And then I also need you to anoint Elisha. So he does, and immediately after that in chapter 19, he anoints Elisha. But we're never told, the, the loop is never closed about Hazael and Jehu. But here, Elisha, chapter 8, uh, anoints Hazael. And then in chapter 9, he has Jehu anointed. So he's closing the loop here on what God has said. And when he comes to Hazael, uh, he he says to him, Yahweh is going to use you. Yahweh is going to use you, but I'm afraid that it is not going to be in what we would call any kind of a good way. Uh, it, it's kind of uh, interesting here, verse 10, and there's some debate over what is actually said. Elisha says, go say, to him. Now that to him is important. You shall certainly recover. Uh, so, so what is being said here? You know, is Elisha saying, go and lie to the king, Ben Hadad, say to him you'll recover, but then he actually won't because you're going to kill him? Or uh, that's the way the Masoretic text of Hebrew translates it, to him. But to him is the word low, and it depends on what kind of punctuation you put on it. Low can also mean not or no. So the way that the ancient text puts it is go say say, you shall not recover, but the Lord has shown me that he shall die. So either way, we're not really sure. Uh, Either way, Hatziel goes and and tells him he's gonna recover, but then he takes matters into his own hands and he kills Ben-Hadad and anoints himself king over Syria. But notice uh, he does this having heard that he was going to do all of these horrible things to Israel. But he doesn't hear this in a way that says, oh, I have an opportunity to not do this. He hears this as something good. I mean, he even calls it a great thing. Now, great doesn't necessarily mean good, but it means a momentous thing. And, and he seems to come from a non-royal lineage and here he sees an opportunity to put himself forward. There's an opportunity for him to see Yahweh in all of his power and sovereignty. But Hatziel doesn't see it. And because of that, Elisha weeps. You know, there's this exchange in verse 12 um, or verses 11 and 12. He fixed his gaze and stared upon him until he was embarrassed. The man of God wept. We're not really sure who's looking at who. It could be that uh, Hatsiel is sort of in a dazed and, then, and you know, as Elisha is telling him that he's going to be king and then sort of comes too embarrassed. It could be that uh, Hats, Elisha looks at Hatsiel until Hatsiel gets uncomfortable, is sort of embarrassed in that. Uh, but either way, Elisha stops to weep because he is actually hearing the momentous proclamation that is being made over Hatziel and it causes him to grieve. But Hatziel cannot hear and will not see what is being told to him and he just continues on this path of murder, of power grab, of destroying God's people and really putting himself outside of the people of God. And again, we have the opportunity to listen to the things that are going around us in our world, but we really have to make an important effort to make sure that we're listening at the heart level. Here we see two people in Jehoram and Hatziel who just don't. They don't get it. They can't hear what God is doing. And and it's in very great contrast to Elisha, of course, uh, but then also to the Shunammite woman. Let's see if we can't understand what God is doing. Elisha is closing the loop that Elijah has left open. Elisha is going to anoint Hatziel, and as I said, next week we'll see that he anoints Jehu as well. Why is that? Because Elisha understands. Uh, a little bit about what we call providence. Now, I don't know what your familiarity with that word is. Some of you may have heard it. If you're a Christian um, and, and you maybe even spent some time memorizing the Heidelberg Catechism as a kid, you, you maybe have a, a very deep fondness for the idea of providence. Lord's Day 10 says this, what do you understand by the providence of God? The answer is, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all his creatures, and so governs them, that leaf blade, rain, drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What What a great... Testimony, You see, the doctrine of providence is that God is in control of his world. He's in control of the hearts of people and the things that we see around us uh, in nature, in people's hearts, in the raging of nations against each other. Uh, the things that we see around us are under the control of God. Uh, What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Uh, We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature, whether in heaven or on earth, shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. And what we see here is that God's providence is begging to be heard. It's begging to be listened to. We see it in a couple of ways. We we see it, first of all, in his justice or in his judgment. I, I use those words sort of entertain, uh, interchangeably. I do it kind of intentionally because, you know, we talk a lot about justice now, but we're not always so comfortable talking about judgment. But we have to understand that for God, uh, justice and judgment are, are coming out of the same source. It's because there is right and wrong uh, that there is a thing called justice. It's interesting to me how many people who are uh, basically relativists with regards to how they think about the world are crying out for justice. You realize like that doesn't really go together. You cannot be a relativist. You cannot believe that anything is right and wrong or anything goes uh, and still believe that there is right and wrong. Uh, There's an inconsistency there. But for God, who is the standard of right and wrong, and who will judge on the basis of the standard of right and wrong, we can actually talk about justice. And and here we see it with regards to what is happening in Israel. Israel is refusing to walk with God. And from the very beginning, he said, if you will not walk with me, you will face the consequences of not walking with me. You will be overtaken by foreign nations. We've, we've seen that as we've looked back in Deuteronomy and the proclamation about kingships in Israel and what happens when kings will not submit themselves to God. Justice, judgment will happen. And the instrument of that judgment or that justice is going to be Hatsayel. He's going to be this pagan, you know, and God uses pagans. Remember, Psalm 78 says, Even the wrath of men shall praise God. God uses those things that even shake their fist at God, that hate God, to accomplish his holy will. And God continues to do that. God continues to do it in our life. Uh, He uses things in our world that... Uh, are not of him, so to speak, uh, to be used by him. You know, is God using the rebellion of our country in this time as a way to bring judgment on the people of America? Well, I believe so. Uh, Certainly on the church, if we refuse to walk with God, we will not Uh, enjoy the benefits of walking with God. And that's not to say it's the same thing as God bringing judgment on Israel, which was a theocracy, which was that Old Testament expression of a Christian nation. America is not that. We've said that all along. Uh, But we will face the consequences of actions in judgment. But note also uh, that God also is working mercy uh, for those in unexpected ways. This Shunammite woman, I'm so uh, curious about her. She's just had this cycle in her life of provision, loss, restoration. God gave her a son when she really didn't even ask for it, Uh, but then he took that son away. Uh, And and then he restored that son to life. Uh, God gave her a home when she didn't necessarily deserve it uh, or ask for it. But then God took it away in the seven years of famine. But then God restored it and restored all that was hers together with the produce of the fields from the day that she left until now. God is in the business of restoring uh, to his people uh, all things And I think it's really instructive for us uh, in our lives because this is the story of the gospel. Both judgment and mercy for those who have ears to hear come together in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who comes into the world, a world crying out for justice. And he said, there is only one way that justice is going to come into the world. And that is if the wrath of God is satisfied. That is if the standard for judgment is met. And basically what Jesus said is, I will take it. I will go and I will take the wrath. I will go, and I will take the judgment that the world deserves, this judgment that was going to be inflicted by Haziel upon Israel. Jesus takes it into himself, the judgment that you and I deserve. Jesus takes it into himself, uh, and he satisfies the wrath of God. But then, uh, in his resurrection, uh, as he descends into the tomb and he breaks the power of death and judgment against sin and rises again from the dead, he restores he restores to us all that was lost he restores to us the the very life that God intended to give us from the beginning uh, if God did not spare his own son um, uh, Paul says in romans chapter eight how he how will he not also with him give us all things?' You see, when Jesus burst forth from the tomb, he he made the path of restoration so that life could be restored, so that we could have fellowship with God, so that we could enjoy peace with our brothers and sisters. This is what God is inviting us to listen to in this story. Uh, Will we hear what God is doing because this is so much a story about the kingship of God we we see kingdoms of the earth that rage against one another and against Yahweh we see the hearts of kings like Jehoram like Hatziel like Ben-Hadad who will not submit themselves to Yahweh but then we see a sovereign king who providentially, uh, by means of mercy and grace, uh, his fatherly hand uh, rules and overrules his world, his people, working out his plan so that we can come into fellowship with him. I don't know where you are on your journey with God. I really don't. but what we see in this passage is that the gospel gives us a beautiful way. You can try all, all kinds of other ways. You can, find, you can try justice without truth. You can, try, um, uh, you can try just sort of making your way without listening. You, you can try all sorts of other ways, but the only way to true happiness is to listen to what God is telling us and to find ourselves bowing at his feet, surrendering, as you will, repenting, saying, hey, my way isn't working. I want to come to your way. So, my friends, I hope that this has encouraged you in the end to to humble yourselves and to be better listeners, to make space in your own life, uh, to provide space in the life of those around so that we can hear what God is really doing in our hearts and we can enjoy some of the renovation uh, that he intends to bring. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Uh, Help us to be good listeners. Help us to be listeners to you, to those around us. Help us uh, to make space that we can be filled with your truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Been talking for 35 minutes and 40 seconds right now. It's time for a drink. Have a great day. Goodbye. God bless.